Hello. If you are into conversations that are habitually disruptive, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian, the speakeasy edition. All right, I'm really excited about this week's episode of the speakeasy. It's a little bit different from anything that we have done in the last few weeks that we've been doing this new segment. I want to start doing a monthly frequently asked questions or ask me anything. This is something that I try to do relatively often on my Instagram, but there are some of these questions that honestly just I need a little bit more than some slides on Instagram to go into. And so this segment of the segment (laughs) will serve as an opportunity to facilitate those conversations and share my thoughts on some things that land in my inbox pretty often. It will allow me to speak on current events and what's happening in the world and also just the theological and political concepts that we're having more conversations about at the time. And so I pulled a couple of the ones that I'm seeing a lot in my inbox right now, like literally in real time. I'm recording this on Thursday. The episode will come out on Monday. And so the last week has been a little insane. There's the UFOs, which it's just an unidentified flying object. It doesn't mean that even alien UFOs, but there's been stuff shot out of the air. There's trains derailing. So there's a bunch of crazy stuff happening in the news around the world, which has the end times, trials, tribulations, are we about to get raptured out of our clothes conversation ramping up as it does. And then right alongside that, you have literal revival breaking out at Asbury College. So we're going to talk about those two things kind of in tandem. And then there's a few other questions that I've been getting asked a lot recently that we'll get into. But first, I want to talk about, are we in end times? I have gotten this question in my DMs and in some kind of question box more in the last two weeks than I have in a really long time, probably since all of the rioting and everything in 2020, which I'll be totally honest, sometimes I very much question why people are asking me, me, for my input on this because I'm not someone that talks about end times. I don't have a prevalently, like publicly known end times theology. It's not something that I talk about a ton, but I think it is something that just freaks people out. We get real worked up about it. And I admittedly have a little bit of an unpopular take on the conversation, but I'm just going to shoot you straight and we can figure out as we go. I think that the end matters. I think that how things end matters. And if we're going to meet Jesus in the sky or if he's going to come down to earth, all of those are really interesting theological, psychological, hypothetical conversations to have. Because here's what we do know. We do know that we won't know. We are told in scripture that we will not know the day or the time that Christ is coming back, that heaven will be restored, that will be brought to glory. That doesn't mean that we don't care about it. That doesn't mean that the conversation is unimportant because scripture also tells us like, therefore be on alert for you don't know. Here's the thing. I think some of us have taken therefore be alert as therefore be freaked out or therefore be stressed, or therefore be worried about, is it now? Did I just hear trumpets? Is he coming? Is this it? That is such an exhausting way to live your life. And my hope is that we can dig into this a little bit and maybe release you from that just a little bit, okay? 
I think that, as with most things that I believe, that you can care about something and not let it consume you. So the chunk of where I get my end times theology is actually not from Revelation. I've done my own and church-wide deep dive into Revelation, and I know what I believe about the end times and the signs and the symbols and what it means. But I also know what Jesus taught in Matthew 24 and the very clear language that he uses about the signs of Christ's return and what that means for believers. And I think that's what matters. I don't think we can know if we are in end times because I think every generation has thought they were in end times because I believe that everyone who has lived since the ascension is living in end times essentially. Surely believers thought that this has got to be it. Millions of people are dying. They're being put in concentration camps. Evil is running rampant and it is being celebrated. It is being worshipped. We are at war. You have the depression. They surely believers were like, surely God's coming back soon, right? Like they've got, they had to have been looking at each other going, this has to be it, right? Like it can't get worse than this. And then the world kept going and he didn't come back. And so I just really think that that can be a distraction from the most important thing when we are hyper vigilant in trying to discern whether this is it or not versus acknowledging that the it is going to come. I believe that this battle has been won, that I know who wins in the end, that I am showing up to a war that has already been won for my side. And I also want to be aware of how I want to be found when that time does come. If by some miracle the trumpets sound and I get to see God or see Jesus and this is all done and we are made full in our glory, cool beans. I want to be found using my gifts for the glory of God to further his kingdom so that as many people can know him, love him, and walk with him as possible. Outside of that, I just, I think it's a distraction. I think that it pulls us off course when we're worried about are we in end times versus acknowledging that generations before us have thought the same exact thing. So how do we walk this out well? So I want to kind of get into a little bit of what Jesus says in Matthew 24 about the signs of Christ's return and how Christians should be prepared for that and what that looks like for us. Just a little bit of context, because, you know, I love my context. So Jesus has been teaching in the temple, and he gives, you know, this is the parable of the marriage feast, and he talks about render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees start trying to pigeonhole him with some of their hard-hitting questions. Jesus goes ham on the Pharisees. It's the whole, like, woe to you, you're hypocrites, you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. He like really lets them have it. And so then he's walking out of the temple and his disciples come around him and they start asking him questions about the temples and about how they're going to be torn down and they're not going to last forever. And this leads the disciples to ask him, when these things happen, what will be the signs of your coming and the signs of the end of the age? And I think if you look at these things, it's like, yeah, this stuff is happening. This stuff is happening now. Does this mean this is it? And I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking that question or hypothesizing about it. But 
I also think we have to be honest about the fact that all of these things have been present for generations, okay? He says things like, people are going to come in my name, they're going to say I am the Christ, and they're going to mislead people. Yeah, check. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, check, okay? We've got, we've got some things ramping up. Why are these things in the sky? Are they from China? Are we going to be at war with China and Russia? The next sentence is, see that you are not frightened for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end, okay? So he's saying, it's gonna hit the fan. People are gonna be preaching in my name and it's gonna be a false gospel. There's gonna be war. There's gonna be rumors of war. He says, nations are gonna rise against nations. There's gonna be famines. There's gonna be earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Okay, like that stuff is nature and humanity groaning out for restoration. That has been happening forever, forever, ever. False prophets, that's been around forever. Wars and rumors of wars, forever. Nations rising against nations, forever. Famines, forever. Earthquakes, forever. Because this is the beginning. That is the beginning. He goes on to say that many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. False prophets will arise and mislead many. Lawlessness will be increased. People's love will grow cold. And then he says, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. A lot of people take that to mean like very technically, once the Bible is translated into every tongue and every tribe, then Jesus is going to come back. And I 100% think that that could be a take. I think that that could be how he meant it potentially. But I also think it's interesting that there's parallel scripture that goes along with that specific sentence that says that because of nature, because of God's glory on the earth, we are without excuse. We are without excuse of worshiping the one true God. I don't know. Could it mean that it needs to be in every tongue and translation? Or is it that the gospel is already available to us and that this isn't like some last little box that God is waiting to check before he can come back? I don't know. I don't know. But one thing that Jesus is really clear about in this teaching is kind of not be swayed back and forth by people claiming to know that it's the end or claiming to know what's going to happen because he's very clear. Nobody is going to know. Nobody's going to know the time. Nobody's going to know the day. Nobody's going to know how. Like, we don't know. And so I personally, and this may be a little bit of a harsh stance, I am very wary of people who pretend like they know that we are in end times or people who act like they know what God is doing because it is too great to understand. It is so far beyond our human comprehension. And he touches on that. You know, he says, they'll tell you he's in the wilderness. Don't go there. Or he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe them. Just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man to be. So it's like we get so caught up in Instagram prophets or internet prophets or prophets in your real life or people who claim to be able to discern these things and know that we are in the season of Jubilee or it's the season of tribulation or God is coming. Well, he's always been coming and we should always be 
presenting the gospel and presenting God's goodness with the fervor as though this is the end, but to pretend as though you know that it is the end, Jesus is very clear that we need to beware of those people. In fact, going on to call them vultures, like that if people are afraid, if people are desperate for answers and they want to know what's going on, vultures will come. So don't be a corpse. Don't be somebody that is swayed back and forth by someone else's theology and someone else's visions. And instead, keep your eyes on the fact that we know that he is coming. How do you want to be found when he is coming? But that his instruction is clear, that we are not to be found frightened. We are not to be found afraid. We are not to be found chasing down end times theology because it is a wasteful use of our time. He makes it super clear in verse 36. This is what I kind of come back to people when they say, do you think we're in the end times? Is Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. And if you believe in a triune God, that gets a little confusing because you're like, hold up. The father can know stuff that the son and the Holy Spirit don't know. I thought they were all one, but also three parts. And that's why we need faith because it doesn't all always make sense. And you can't always tie it up with a bow. But at the same exact time, Jesus is very clear about like, be on alert, be ready. Like he's coming. Are you ready? And I think that that is a position of existence versus something we need to get to. Like I want to exist in a place where even doing the most mundane task, if that is the end, if the end comes and I am folding laundry, cool. Like, I want that to be cool. I want that to be okay. I want to live my life in a way that I am not afraid that the other shoe is going to drop. I just do not believe that that is what Christ came to accomplish. I believe he came to give us life and give it abundantly. And an abundant life is not stressed about when he's coming back. It is living out of the truth that he is. Which naturally leads itself to a conversation about what is happening at Asbury College in Kentucky. If you haven't been keeping up with it, I'm recording this on Thursday and it's still going on. I don't know if it'll still be going on on Monday, but there is this massive revival. It started in a chapel service on February 8th. Today is the 16th. Uh, that's a really long church service. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. Because I may or may not have looked at flights to fly to Kentucky just to experience it because I think that it is incredible. You're also seeing more versions of that pop up on college campuses and church campuses around the nation. And I'm going to be honest, I am by nature a skeptic. I am by nature maybe a little more negative or pessimistic. I look at things through a lens of what could this be? What could ulterior motives be? Like, that is my default existence, if I'm being totally honest. But this, I don't really personally see the point in being critical of revival. First of all, this is not the first revival to ever happen. Revival has been happening, again, since biblical times. This isn't even the first revival to happen on this college campus. And I personally am just so annoyed. <laughs> That Christians have gotten to a point where we are nitpicking and doubting everything to pieces to a point that we just look like we don't believe anymore. I know that scripture tells us to test the spirits and to be discerning, but I think that that is supposed to be more on a personal level and less on the internet. 
I'm going to be totally honest. If your take on this revival and the way it's spreading across the country is one of cynicism, and I don't mean this in a rude way, but like, why don't you just keep it to yourself? Because people are coming to Christ. People are worshiping him in ways that we haven't seen elevated on a national level in years. The country has been on a steady decline of deconstruction and people leaving the church. The younger generations have these like insane suicide rates and they're leaving the church. And so you've got something that is essentially started by Gen Z taking off, catching fire. And then you got Christians sitting back on, I don't believe you. Uh, I think we need to be wary of that. Okay, you want to be weary? Be weary of it. You don't have to pull everybody else into your negative orbit. And I realize I'm being like a little direct and like maybe a little more spicy than I typically would be. And that lends itself to a larger conversation of the critical and cynical nature of Christians on the internet lately that's just so exhausting and doesn't look like the heart of Christ, period, full stop. My hope is that the motivation behind what some of like the critics of the movement are saying is that this revival is available to everyone. You don't need to get on a plane and drive and fly to Kentucky. You don't have to like put your feet in that chapel to experience revival. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. But also, we are people who have been created for community, who have been created for movement. And it's happening. So why can't it just be awesome that it's happening? If they start getting up there and preaching a different gospel, then like, yeah, sure. Let's maybe test the spirits. Let's have some discernment. Let's have some questions and have some concerns. But right now you're seeing people repent of their sin. You're seeing people stay there for hours and days so that they can worship the Lord. You're seeing spontaneous worship and preaching and speaking breaking out, not just on this campus, but across the nation. I'm okay with that. I love it. I've loved watching it happen. I've loved watching people travel there and experience it. I've gotten to talk to a few people in DMs or that I know personally that are like, it's indescribable. The presence of God is so palpable and tangible. And they get to take that home with them. All of these people are going to have to go home at some point. Every single person that has walked through those doors or not, who, or, who are just watching it from the internet, They have their own homes that they are going back to, that they are going to get to carry that revival with them. That's incredible. And I don't know why there would be reason to not celebrate that. So again, this is coming out on Monday. I don't know if it is still going on by that point. They'd be running like over a week. And that's amazing. I hope that they keep going because it's blessing a lot of people, the people that are there and the people that are watching it happen. But so that's my take on that. That's my take on end times. Are we in end times and revival? So we're going to get into just a couple of the other questions that I've been getting a lot lately that are kind of unrelated, but I wanted to, to throw in here as well. So one of the big questions that I've been getting a lot ever since I came out of the canna closet as someone who uses cannabis on a medicinal level is where to start. Now, I'm not a doctor. And I don't know if you are someone who is potentially interested in this. I don't know what your situation is, what you're trying to treat. But I also do know that you are going to be really hard-pressed to get in front of a traditional primary care physician and have this conversation and them have anything helpful to lend to you. So my primary advice is to try to find some kind of naturopathic care 
either in your area or online. There are a lot of really great naturopathic or natural healing practitioners that have degrees, but have a lot of them have just kind of left behind the over-medicating, over-diagnosing way of Western medicine and have taken a more holistic route. I don't have any kind of incredible resource for you where you can like plug in your address and find somebody. This is going to require some legwork on your part. I highly suggest that step if you are on some kind of pharmaceutical that you're trying to get off of. Please don't get off of a medication, even if you're going to supplement it with cannabis, without being under the care of some kind of professional because it's just a really bad idea. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So I would find some kind of like holistic or naturopathic doctor. And then I would also start doing your own research. What is your reason for wanting to maybe introduce this, let's call it a supplement, into your regimen? Like, what are you trying to combat? What are you trying to work with? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it OCD? Are you not sleeping? Like, because one thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about this world is that it has exploded in the last five to 10 years. And it's so funny, like, even talking to my parents about this, because yes, I have open conversations with my parents about cannabis is that it's not like you don't just buy some stuff and like out of like a sketchy alley and you get it in a Ziploc bag and you smoke it and like whatever happens, happens. I wouldn't be partaking if that was the case. It has been made down to such a science and there's different strains and then those strains have strains and you can get really like focused care for a specific need, whether it's pain management or insomnia or mental health. There is so much information out there about using cannabis medicinally or as a treatment method. And so I love the Leafly, leafly leafly.com. They have an app. There's a ton of kind of unbiased, here's what it does, what purpose it serves information, as well as people's personal experiences with the different strains and, and what they're using it for. This isn't sponsored. Leafly doesn't know that I exist. It's just where I started with a lot of my research. And then also like going into some medical journals, they can be a little bit like gobbledygook, hard to read, but you can read about like the impact that this stuff has on your brain. And here's the thing about research is you're going to be able to find research to affirm whatever you're looking for. So when I originally started talking about cannabis publicly, I had a ton, you know, I had this influx of people telling me how bad it was for me. And I was like, yeah, I can show you the same volume of research that says it's great for you. So I do think that it comes down to a lot of personal experience and it's going to take some trial and error. Hopefully you get to do that with some kind of medical professional that's willing to incorporate this into your treatment or into your life. But I think it starts with finding somebody that you can do that with having conversations with your spouse or with your, you know, whoever you're in a relationship with that they're comfortable with it, that they're on board with it and doing your own research. And then it really genuinely, I hate to tell you this, it's going to come down to experimenting. And I don't mean experimenting like experimenting with drugs. Like I'm not telling, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if it's legal where you live and you're able to go, you know, do your own research and go to a dispensary and find the right thing that's a match for you, start small. Start as small as you possibly can, which is why edibles is a really great entry method into this world is just 
starting really small, cutting things into a fourth and letting it ride. Because a lot of people have the experience where they take a certain amount and then they wait a little bit and then they don't feel anything and then they take more and then they end up having a really terrible experience. So that is the extent of my advice for starting to journey into this. I am not a medical professional. This is not medical advice. Necessary disclaimer. The last thing I really don't want to answer, but I've been getting this question like every single time I open a question box. So I'm just going to go ahead and answer it here and then it'll be done. People want to know what happened to our dog. If we still have our dog, if you haven't followed me for a long time, we got a puppy Christmas of 2020, Christmas gift for the girls. We got a Cocker Spaniel. We did all the research. These are supposed to be the best dogs for families and small children. We committed to like training the dog and all of that kind of stuff. And he was the worst, honestly. He didn't like our kids. Jeremy had trained multiple dogs in the past. And this dog was not interested in using the bathroom outside. He was not interested in listening. And then, so, but we were like sticking it out, you know, like we made a commitment. And then we moved into a motor home for like six months while we built our house. And I remember the, the date, like our closing date on the house closing in and being the primary thing I was stressed about was what we were going to do with this dog. Because there's literally no way that I was going to be able to live in 400 square feet with three other humans and this dog that was still a puppy, essentially. And then there was this like really unfortunate series of events where in one day he like nipped at one of the girls, pooped in my bed and rolled around in it. And I was like, okay, I think maybe I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. And so we had some mutual friends, got connected with this couple that lives nearby. They live on four acres. They had just lost one of their dogs. The dog had passed away from cancer. And we, so we rehomed him and we still get pictures of him. We still talk to the people that he went to live with. He is living his literal best life. He sleeps in their bed. He's got brothers and sisters. He has full range of this like four acre lot. And we didn't have to move into a motor home with a puppy that kind of hated us. So I don't think I owe that to the internet to explain what happened in my personal life and what happened with my dog. The reason that I have not spoken about it for over a year is because I have watched other creators get dogs, it'd not be a good fit, rehome the dog, and then get absolutely decimated on the internet. And that may happen. And the great thing is I just don't really care anymore. Like if you want to judge me for finding a better home and a better fit for a dog, then like so be it. That's your prerogative. That's the dog's story. And yeah, we really covered, we really covered all the topics here today. But I will see you on Wednesday for another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian with Tori Hope Peterson talking about her life and experience of going through the foster care system and what she is doing to make a change and an impact.